if I'm if I'm not saying anything, just just know that I'm over here jamming to Skrillex the whole time. I don't get it. Shout out to my lost boys. We rowdy. Hey, I'm Joe. I'm Ken. I'm Andrew. And I'm Dan. And we're the Rewinders Podcast, rewinding movies to see if they hold up. And this time, we thought our happy thoughts and flew into the arms of the movie Hook. Well, nice hook there, Joe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I realized <laughs> I needed to make something up. And I paused for a second and then... You nailed that. it. Absolutely. No, but it made it work. You stuck the landing. <laughs> Good enough. Not getting voted off the island, I guess. Not today, at least. Would you like to be? I don't... No. Okay, good, because no. I don't want to vote you off, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I will if I have to. <laughs> so does anyone have a particular history with the movie Hook? Yes. I listened to a Skrillex song once. <laughs> Jeez. No, uh, I actually am wondering still to this day whether or not i heard that song first or saw hook i'm fairly certain i heard this song first which means i've only seen it in the last 10 years for the first time so short history hmm. we we saw hook in theaters when it came out uh parents took me immediately to shopco and bought me uh the mattel version of of uh, peter panning's sword the coconut hilt had a cool little bell inside of it so when you when you flung the sword around it made dinging sounds like it was like clinging against blades but uh yeah i i have a very fond history of this movie uh it's one of those movies that was in heavy rotation growing up and i try to make a effort to watch it at least once a year it's uh definitely in a was definitely in heavy rotation for my family i don't we didn't really like i didn't see it in theaters because this one this came out in this was 88 89 91 i believe correct 91 yeah 91 okay yeah i would have been two years old when this came out but we've discovered that my parents lived 10 years in the past when I was born. So uh, a lot of movies that I saw. <laughs> and no earlier. 10 to 15 years, yeah. So many movies. Oh. Um, then you have time to warn them about Not things. anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. They had this in rotation already? Yeah. Now this, this was one. I forget when I first saw it. I would have been. I would have been at least 10. When I first saw this, I remember at least renting it a couple of times and then eventually buying it when I started working at Toys R Us. Man, this this is putting things in perspective. I was about three or four years old when I saw this. To have that vivid Jeez. of a memory of all this stuff, it, it wow. <laughs> it it had an impact, I'd say, then. <laughs> it did. It was, a, it was a very good family memory. It was, it was a good time. Yeah, it's a good movie, so, like... Not what critics would have to say. <laughs> This is probably the most shocking one. Like, I did not realize how bad this movie was lambasted. Like, I just assumed growing up that everybody liked this movie. And then to grow up as an adult and actually look back on it and see, wow, this movie got shit on. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, well, when it takes 30 minutes for you to get to Neverland, and then you realize you still have two more hours left of this thing. See, and that's, that's the issue, I believe. I believe the tone changes wildly throughout the film, which I understand... Coming at it with an older set of eyes, I can completely understand and relate to people not liking this movie, but it 
it still works fundamentally for me and I still love so much and get so much out of this film, but I can absolutely understand why people wouldn't like it. There is such a huge tonal shift in so many spots in this film, but I really thoroughly enjoy the pieces leading up to Neverland. That's, for me, probably my favorite parts of this movie. Just learning... I love Peter Panning being an ass. How much he's forgotten himself. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. You can see a little bit of the horror aspects, a little bit of, uh, you know, Poltergeist shining through with... Captain Hook, uh, you know, abducting the kids and everything like that. Like, there's just some of that classic Spielberg directing right off the get, just within the first 30, 40 minutes of the film. And he has a way with kids, like pretty much no other director I've seen has. He can get such crazy good reactions out of kids. That is that is very true. Just breaks my heart knowing that this is a movie that he doesn't even like himself and hasn't gone back to watch, except for when Robin Williams did pass away in 2014. The, the fact that he disowns such an important piece of my childhood makes me a little, a little misty-eyed. <laughs> a little bit. I don't know. I, like, it's been a while since I've watched this in earnest, outside of, you know, for here. Mm-hmm. But, like, I have a hard time understanding the hate for it. Yeah. Maybe that's just because I, I just see it as a, a good movie. I don't know. And that's kind of what I saw echoed online is for those of us who grew up with this film, who were young enough to remember this from the 90s as it came out, it, it does hold a special spot in a lot of a lot of kids who grew up's heart versus, you know, teenagers at the time rolled their eyes at some pretty grown worthy scenes and things like that. So I don't know. And adults obviously had a very different feel towards it. So it, it kind of is this magical thing where as kids... We saw this movie about kids not wanting to grow up and thoroughly enjoyed this film that adults did not enjoy. And it's it's just kind of bringing it to the meta. I really enjoy that. It makes it a little bit more special for me, even. When it came out, I did not care for this movie. So you were in that middle camp. Yeah. So I had a problem with... Authority. <laughs> no. <laughs> Skateboards? Trying to be edgy and cool? Oh. <laughs> Oh, God, that was part of it. That is the number one complaint I saw online, is skateboards, from people from people in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll say that the nicest way to put it, it's about me, not about the film, is that I guess you could say I was an originalist about it at that time. That's what I, I see a lot of that, a lot of people who were, mm-hmm. Now, when I say the originalist, I don't mean the novel. I mean sure, sure. the, the Disney. Disney cartoon. I had watched that so much. I'm in a weird spot where I haven't seen it. I've never seen Peter Pan. What? Really? Uh, I, I'd say you should. <laughs> you should. Uh, what? I, I know. Should. I know bits about it, and I, I know the controversy surrounding like certain scenes now oh, yeah. with, well, with nostalgia eyes. But yeah, just I've never actually. Yeah, of course. I've never sat down to watch the original. I think that's part of the reason why I enjoy Hook so much. I don't know. They're two separate stories. This is a continuation, like. Peter Pan, young Peter Pan, and that is what that movie is all about. And now you have a continuation where Peter left Neverland and is uh, old, uh, crotchety old man. I guess crotchety might not be the right word, like one point, but he sure gets happy when he gets to have a cell phone duel. It is a completely <laughs> different story. It's it's not the original yeah. Peter Pan story. So. And I, I have heard that from a couple people where they have pretty much said that exactly, that they don't like what it does to the original so I, I get that, I guess. I understand everybody's views on this. Yeah, I don't like what the cartoon did to the original story. <laughs> you ever read that book? Come on. My parents had a recording <laughs> of the stage play of Peter Pan. Actually, they had two different recordings. They had one with Mary Martin from, I mean, it was in black and white. 
and then another one with Kathy Rigby. Well, everyone knows the Kathy Rigby one. Yep. But I remember watching both of these, and, like, I I had a very good memory of Peter Pan before seeing it as a Disney film, and then later watching it in Hook. So, like, I must be an outlier, because I enjoy how all of the stories, tra- like, progress. Well, aren't you just woke? I don't know, man. <laughs> like... I, I I feel like the 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 negatives that this movie gets in reviews and shit are unnecessary. Sure, and there's plenty of negative things you can say about this movie. But from what you guys are saying, the negatives that people are saying are not necessarily the negatives they should be focusing on. Yeah, I, correct. After watching it, I definitely have my own set of negatives to go over when we get to that point. But there's there's things that even I picked up this time around where it's just like, yeah, I can kind of see that now, but. There's shitting on the movie just for the sake of shitting on the movie, but then there's also, you know, legitimate gripes, but it's completely biased based off of age, based off of the time the movie came out, tropes, things like that. There's so much that goes into this. Yeah. So it's kind of hard because reading through the reviews, I could understand everywhere where everybody was coming from, but then it just kind of makes me think like, okay, well, if you nitpick the same way on another movie... You could literally find anything not to like about any movie that comes out. Behold the internet. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So for those who have not seen Hook, which, you know, to us probably seems a little weird. Peter Pan grows up. He forgets who he was, has to come back to England. And when he does, he has his children stolen by Hook. So he has to go to Never Never Land and save his kids and bring back and remember what it was like to be Peter Pan and not be a dickbag lawyer anymore. No, that's instead he's it. a dickbag kid. Oh, wait, no, that's <laughs> that's the books. Never mind. Let's just start with the things that we like. Peter Pan watching a play about himself. <laughs> and that, that, that school has such high production values <laughs> that it makes you kind of angry that when you were a kid, you there's like, yeah, there's no way in hell we would ever get sets nope. like that. What the what kind of private school are they going to? Right. The kind of school that, lighting, that lawyers send that their kids to. That lighting was amazing. It really was. <laughs> he was working on very expensive contracts. He had a lot of money. I mean, come on. When they said draw, the first thing he does is whip out a freaking checkbook. I mean, I mean, he's got some money. He's got some cash to liquidate. He doesn't care. There's a lot of affluenza here. It's it's dripping yes. with affluenza. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, early 90s with a cell phone? That's insane. Yeah, yeah. I do miss the uh, the antennas that cell phones used to have. I know. Yeah. They were so much fun to break <laughs> off phones. And by that, I mean pull out and push back in, pull out, push back in. Oops. Yup, yup. Okay, so cast-wise, I freaking love everybody in this, but hands down for me, the standout is Bob Hoskins as Smee. Yeah, oh, Bob for Hoskins sure. Bob yes. plays an oh, incredible yeah. Smee in this film, and it, it, it just makes me sad that we lost him the same year we lost Robin Williams, because I, I feel like he wasn't done yet, because he, he reprised the role in 2011. I haven't seen Neverland to see that, but still, I mean, I, I love Bob Hoskins. I only really know him from... A few things, including Mario. Roger Rabbit, Mario, unfortunately. <laughs> Can you believe he did Roger Rabbit, then this movie? Yeah. And then the Mario Brothers? Oh, man. Oh, man. That's a thing. He also... Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the movie that I really like him from, because he's the HVAC guy that constantly hassles the lead character of that movie. Brazil. Oh, what's the name of that movie? We need to watch it, because I want to watch it again. 
Anyway, whatever. If I think of it, I'll yell it out. The name of the movie is Brazil. Honestly, the big thing for me is the cast, but it's strange because oh, yeah. if you guys notice, Steven Spielberg does not like working with big name stars. He tends to keep his productions with no names. He, I mean, I think he had a quote saying he never, uh, what was it? Uh, I think it was Rolling Stone. He said he would, he would never work with somebody who's had their face on the cover of Rolling Stone just because he liked the... He liked working with up and coming actors or or less well known actors just because they're easy to they work, work with and get better performances out of them. Yep, exactly, exactly. So this was his one movie. If you look at his history, that had a shitload of really heavy A listers, and I I feel sad because I wonder if that sullies the the experience for him because it it didn't turn out to be his best received film. Okay, but also a lot of the uh, A listers weren't necessarily in the major roles. He had. Robin Williams, which, I mean, I wonder how difficult he can be to work with. I'm sure he's just off oh, the no. rails all the time. They became best friends from this. I mean, even going into Schindler's List, he'd call him to cheer up the cast and crew while they were down on days. I mean... You just let him go and, and you'll have a good time. Yeah. Uh, but, like, Maggie Smith was Wendy. Maggie Smith is amazing. She and is. And she only shows up in the beginning at the end of the movie. You got Bob Haskins uh, playing Smee, who is maybe... 5, 10, 15 minutes of screen time. The rest of them are like a bunch of kids who are from, as far as I know at this time, no names. <laughs> and so you are dealing with like even Captain Hook. I don't know who that was. Dustin, Dustin Hoffman. Hoffman. Oh, Dustin Hoffman. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder why. Okay. Never mind. A listers all the way around, apart from the, the kids. The big one you're forgetting, though, is Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts was the biggest issue with this film. She had multiple exhaustion breakdowns where she had to go to the hospital. I gotta say, I really, really, really liked the scene. I didn't much care for her as Tinkerbell. I don't, it doesn't matter. She's, she does it fine. But what I really liked was when she first shows up and she walks up his shirt. And leaves the footprints, yeah. That looks so good. It did. And they even had the ink feet going up his chest at the time. I don't know how they did it with those, (laughs) with... 91 effects but it looks so good it did i i always remember the footprints and i love that scene for that but yeah i mean honestly she was and my audio the, cut out she was the biggest issue with the film though ken hands down uh steven spielberg did not enjoy working with her and will not work with her again in the future because she was going through so much crap at the time and she was gonna get married to keith sutherland at one point she actually fled the u.s during production to go hide out i think it was in like ireland to get away from the wedding because she just basically ditched him and ran so i I remember steven spielberg had to actually call and threaten to fire her she didn't make it back to the set immediately and like she was just one of the most notoriously difficult things about this movie hands down I always have a problem with remembering that Dustin Hoffman's hook. I always end up thinking that it's um, what. Um, Tim, That's a sign of a good actor. Wait, but I have t- yeah, I have absolutely. Tim Curry it stuck is. in my head, and I think it's because I'm up at Treasure Island. Oh, Tim Curry! Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. I love that movie. I think he may have played Hook at a really later time. Yeah, he played it in a ninety to ninety-one TV series, Peter Pan and the Pirates. Yeah, but that was a cartoon. Yeah, well, he still was Captain Hook. I know, uh, whatever. I, I just, I, I, that, that is the, like, the, the hardest thing that I have to break myself away with when I watch this is that I have to remember that it's not Tim Curry and that it's Dustin Hoffman as Hook because for whatever reason, my, I just get locked in that, that's who's playing Hook, and I have this argument whenever people start talking about Hook. I'm like, yeah, Tim Curry, and they're just like, no, 
you're a moron. It's it's Dustin Hoffman. We've talked about this many times, Dan. Get it fucking right. I think I probably didn't recognize him as Dustin Hoffman because I was too busy looking at the teeth. Well, speaking of some uh, fun, fun unknown cameos, did you guys catch Glenn Close as the bearded pirate that gets put in the boo box? No, I didn't know. <laughs> That's Glenn Close. Oh. Yeah. Phil Collins was the police inspector. Yes, indeed. And then also, I know I've said this in the past, but the the couple kissing on the bridge when they when Tink's flying Peter Panning over uh, London to go to Neverland is is Carrie Fisher and George Lucas. Ew. Uh-huh. There's some interesting cameos in this film, that's for sure. And this time watching, I was like, what's going to happen when they stop kissing and they realize they're floating up in the air? They're going to freak out, they're going to fall and get seriously hurt. Tinkerbell hurt people. Um, oh, that's. Yeah. I mean, that's in character. Disney made Tinkerbell tame. She's a fae. Well, yeah, she's, she's a pixie. She's Pixies a fae. are she's not, not a pixie. nice. Oh, in the book, she's a fae? Yeah. Okay, so that's even worse. She's a fairy. Tinkerbell is vicious. Yeah. Although, she, apparently, she was held to work with. I was trying to think about how what I felt about uh, Julia Roberts being Tinkerbell, and I, I think that might be close to one of the first times of slightly being, like, a boy feeling attracted to a female actor a little bit. Mm-hmm. So oh, I, could, yeah, I, could I might have been on that train at that point in time. <laughs> Later viewings, probably like, I don't know, like eight or nine, I, I started to kind of crush on Julia Roberts as Tinkerbell for sure. She's cute. Yep. And, and Dan, I, I know Maggie Smith for you, but... <laughs> Maggie Smith was only 56 in this, or was 46. She's either 40s in her 40s or 50s during this film. The makeup job that they did on her actually kind of makes like her does look today. like she does today. She does now. Yeah, it was crazy. It's, it's weird. Yeah, she was only 56 at the time. She's going to live forever. Don't say that because that's when things. They, they will never take her away from us. She will always be the sassy English lady. Well, they'll take Betty White first. Forever. And Betty White can't die, so Maggie Smith's <laughs> never going anywhere. Good, good. We need some McGonagall reshoots at some point. Um, can we talk about the cinematography that they did for Tank in the dollhouse when they're when she's first introducing herself? Oh, good God. stuff. I've often thought about how much fun that had to have been for Julia Roberts to be in a full-size dollhouse tumbling around. You know what? If she was that hard to work with, I'm going to guess she wasn't having a good time. Probably, probably true. <laughs> Do you think that was actually her tumbling down the stairs? No. No. No, no, that was Maggie Smith. <laughs> because she's this. good. <laughs> I, I can't do a good You'd Maggie have Smith. A, I apologize, Maggie Smith. That, is that okay. was a bad A hard time seeing that Julia Roberts' character, like, pl- her playing Tink was hard for her. Because she does it really well. She does. She really does. Yeah, there's a lot of various cinematography things that uh, I really do like about this movie. The big standout is whenever they uh, do the big pan out of the island, the compass in the water. And the longitude and latitude lines. That are physical representations of themselves. It's just a beautiful way to do that that shot. I I absolutely love that. I always... Uh, well, not always, but when I'm watching it this time round, all the sets are like a defined space. And those defined spaces are actually quite large, but the way that they're built is very cool because they give a sense of depth and space and realism. 
And once you're at that limit, it ends. They have those light blue curtains then that give that fade into basically nothingness. Yep. You can see that right, right when, right in the the, the open the, the first scene that um, Peter's in on the island. Yeah, like you can tell yeah. that the seat that the the stages end. But the, you're right. The, there's so there's so much in each stage mm-hmm. that Hook feels more like a stage play than it than it does a movie. That's one of the things I've heard echoed online from a lot of folks is that the 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 stages are so evident in this film that it's just it's clearly stages and sets. So it's like sets the movie. You move from this set to this set. They're very clearly defined sets. Very easy to tell that it's a movie production, and you get lost from the immersion. I kind of got a sense of that this time around, and. While the sets themselves were elaborate as can be, I mean, they were so packed to the walls with absolutely every minor detail you could think of. But it's like you guys said, the blue instantly took me out the second any time there was a shot from, whether it be inside the Jolly Rancher, looking out through the windows, whether it be, you know, Peter being brought to the island, like you said, like, any time there was the blue fade where it's just like, oh, that's just sky in the background, that kind of detracted for me. And I, I know that's a negative, but... It, it, it had to be said. It's just, I, I get the frustration from some reviews that I read where they talked about it, but I mean, hell, those were some elaborate designs for the sets. I, I love the sets. But I'm going to lay that in a positive because to me, it adds a sense of surrealism to the environment. I agree. It's a defined space that exists and it's fantastical. And then everything outside of it is like dream blur. That makes sense. That's the where they are. They're in between asleep and awake. That whole like nothing's real. Nothing's But yet it real. is. It's right here. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed it this time through because one, those sets are goddamn awesome. And two, <laughs> it kind of makes you feel like it's part of a dream. Yeah. No. Was that intentional? I don't know, but that's how I felt about it. Yeah, I've I've always been in the camp of this movie has some of the best designs I've seen set-wise. I mean, I would have given pretty much anything to go back and take a look at those sets in person. I mean, they are incredible. It, they definitely built them at three-quarters scale or whatever it is because in one scene, Robin Williams is doing a sword fight, and you can tell he would hit his head on uh, the top of a door frame if he walked through it. It made me chuckle, because Robin Williams was not a tall man. <laughs> but but he was a hairy man. He was a hairy man. He, <laughs> yeah, they shaved his arms. For that. <laughs> they shaved his arms, his back, and his chest for this movie, apparently. That's, <laughs> well, yeah. that's some commitment to the bit. Yeah. That's I Robin mean, Williams. That's all those times commitment. we saw his back and chest. All right, we guess we did, didn't we? <laughs> they wouldn't have been able to paint him up if he had his all his hair with him. The Lost Boys would be combing his chest hair and braiding it. Yeah. <sighs> gross. Gross, bro. That's, that, no. Why, why you gotta do that? Anybody got some more likes? I don't want to run off all mine at once. All right. Biggest like, hands down. The score. This is one of my hands down favorite John Williams scores. And it took me hearing it again this time around to really fully appreciate some of the some of the changes in it. I, I, I don't know why I don't listen to this movie's score more often, but this is John Williams at his peak for me. Like, it doesn't sound like recycled bits left over from Star Wars that got put into another movie. Because sometimes it does sound like that in some of his films. Like Indiana Jones, you can kind of hear some Star mm-hmm. Wars themes in, in the music. This is a complete separate thing on its own. I agree. Love the score. And it makes use of John Williams' love of big, bombastic themes. Yep. And it, it So many works. French horns. Yeah. 
and and some of the best piano music I've ever heard too. It's just I, I I'd be hard pressed if I didn't sit there and freaking continuously hum or sing the the theme song while I was like doing dishes or wandering around the house. I mean, just that that opening da 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 that was in my head for almost a day and a half. I couldn't get it out. <laughs> the problem that I have with the opening the opening theme for this is that I hear the opening theme for Hook and then I start hearing Jurassic Park. <laughs> Okay. A little bit. I guess I could see that. I, I could kind of. I, I just, for the opening, I just think of the I Don't Want to Grow Up song, and that gets stuck in my head, too. Just just damn this movie. It has such good music. The music also makes me think a lot of the old Sega CD game that got released with this movie, because they use the score with it, because it's on a CD. They don't have to have chip music anymore, and it was one of the first home video games that had an orchestral score to it even though they lifted it from the movie uh that makes me think about that i didn't know that that's pretty cool that's really cool there's also another uh another tidbit that not everybody knows apparently john williams did have some uh vocal tracks for the movie as well but they were pulled from the film and due to copyright uh, laws they've never been released so there is some more to the soundtrack for this film that we'll probably never hear hmm. it's a shame it is also, Captain Hook's playset. I always wanted that as a child, and as a child, it was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. I always wanted that little <laughs> bathtub island with little pirate ships to play with and everything. It just looked like so much fun, and I was always jealous of him. And you'd hide it under your bed? Oh, I, I would. I would. <laughs> I like how there is the concept in this movie that the pirates go out and they kill people on yep. the island and they specifically say that they've killed lost boys it's the maturity of this movie and i wonder if that's what people didn't like about it is that they took a given family friendly title with the disney peter pan and darkened it not that much though well but see they darkened the disney peter pan where disney peter pan took the original peter pan novel and brought it and made it lighter because there's a lot of nightmare in the original books. But there's definitely not a lot of uh, Captain Hook trying to commit suicide. Don't stop me. Stop me. Stop me. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Don't frighten me like that. But really, the tone of the movie is incredibly weird. Where the murder feels out of place to me. To the point where I feel like the movie almost felt like it was out of place. Because they kill Rufio. Uh, Peter Pan holds him for a little bit. And then that's the last you see of Rufio. And that's the last you really hear of Rufio. They leave him dead on the deck and leave. So this rolls back to why I have this in the positive. Is because the movie introduces the concept of killing. And it demonstratively displays that both sides of the camp both the Lost Boys and the Pirates are not concerned with it. They know it's going to happen, and they do die, but everyone moves on. There's no attention, there's no blood. A whole handful of pirates died, and no one no one cared. I wonder if it, if it harkens back to the whole thought that Neverland is like a version of the in-between. That's kind of some of the jazz i was picking up on but i'm not sure because that's something that i've always i've always liked like as a headcanon that peter pan isn't this just lost child 
Peter Pan is an angel of death. Oh, well, but he was also the product of the Fae of the world picking him up because he was left behind. And that's where Fae are awful. Correct. Yeah, they steal children. Everybody knows this, right? That's what they do. (laughs) But I thought it was a decent way in the concept and construct of this movie to introduce killing and not draw too much attention to it. So that kids aren't scared by it, but get to safely experience it. You get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, even Rufio just gets a little poked to the chest and he falls over. And he gets to say his goodbyes, and then everyone, you know, moves on. Yeah, it wasn't it's, it wasn't frightening as a child watching him die just because it was it was sad. Poke. It was sad. Yeah, you just felt sad that he's gone. Yeah, and I I think that's to the benefit of the film that it was able to use the construct of killing without making it too heavy for children. But I can totally see as an adult that they're murdering people and they're talking about murdering children. And that's kind of... There's a taboo. That's kind of intense. A little bit of taboo right there. That's definitely how you know that they're the bad guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the paint everyone in the broadest strokes kind of mentality. But again, that's for children to learn who the characters are, not to make them a gray, interesting character, but you, okay, kids, these are the bad guys. But then (laughs) I say that the whole pirate crew to me are gray. They're not broad strokes because they're crying about the little girl singing her song. They, they do miss their mommies a little bit. There's, it's just, everything is not, the pirates aren't evil. No, they're They're, not. They're, very, this diabolical yeah. thing they they are soft they do sometimes yeah they do the murder they're when you try to steal their bases <laughs> but again there's no blood he is shot he falls down and no one drags him off he's just gone <laughs> he is just kind of gone isn't he? to the credit of the movie they use killing and murder in a movie for children and it seems to work in a safe fashion and I like Toodles. Everybody likes Toodles. How can you not like Toodles? In this world where death and whatever exists, and they're bringing sticky arrows to the party. Don't forget the bowling ball child. <laughs> Which looks so weird. It really does. <laughs> it absolutely is weird. Again, it's a dream world. It's a fantasy land. Yeah. So yeah, n- there are no rules. <laughs> the rule is there are no rules if you change it to it's a dream world instead of it's a children's movie then it is actually kind of a neat way of doing it and especially since everything does look like a stage it's supposed to be like a play almost and this is how it all played out yeah it kind of uh it fits in there that you can have weird visuals and uh weird stuff in there and it doesn't necessarily have to make sense it's the imagination running wild at that point And Dan, yes, I know there are rules because you have to set up the rules to play within the world that you are creating. But imagine your food so you can eat. Yep. Or your chunks of paint. Or Play-Doh, whatever it is. Really, really good. I was hungry. And then they had the food fight where everything was like sherbet, maybe? (laughs) Cream? Sherbet, marzipan, things like that. I want to imagine me up a burger right about now. (laughs) <laughs> thinking about that kid and his burger oh, oh yeah man. yeah mad props to those kids for their mime work <laughs> yeah now leading into that scene peter banning i'm gonna call him that because he wasn't peter pan yet smelled the food 
He was all like, oh, I'm in pain. Oh, God, what a long day. Oh, I'm smelling something good. So, was he, like, smelling the other kids' imaginations? Or we, I mean, we could play into that, that he's, he's remembering being Pan. Well, still... But he didn't even know what he was smelling at that time. He didn't know that they were doing a game. He didn't know that they had But he nothing. didn't have to, because he had buried Pan so deep that being on the island and being back with the Lost Boys was uncovering stuff that he had buried so far down that he was doing things involuntarily. Well, he was doing things involuntarily from the beginning. They were breadcrumbing him as Peter Pan from the get-go. No, pirate Peter Pan, maybe. I don't know. They were certainly dropping breadcrumbs the entire first half hour before they even dropped, bro- dra- dragged him to that place, Neverland. Well, I mean, they, they specifically call out that he's Peter Pan before he even leaves for Neverland. Like, that's not really breadcrumbing. Like, they call it straight out. Like, Maggie, Maggie Smith calls him out. I mean, part of the breadcrumbing, like, you guys mentioned the ink footprints. I've never seen that. I have to go back and check that scene out because that's just another one what? of those, hey, remember when this happened in in the stuff from before that you remember? Look, here it is again. Even the pirates talk about it later on when they're pointing out the little footprints on his on his button. Yeah. Button path. I never understood why they kept pushing his belly. On the- <laughs> I just was like, okay, so he's poking him in the buttons. Wh- whatever. Thank you for letting me know I missed that detail. <laughs> I was very much looking for anything that would make that look fake. And that scene was done so, so well that I was just flabbergasted and willing to accept pretty much any of the rest of the movie with the where it was, we'll say subpar green screen, uh, just because that one was done so freaking well that the rest of it was still fairly believable but it looks so good one of the shots of tinkerbell is rear projection behind her and you can tell that that one is not green screen but then you get the rear projection problems of it's all washed out behind her and it's like like and they just can't get it um, right. <laughs> when tinkerbell is standing on there's the railing talking to Hook, trying to get like time to bring Peter back to being Peter. That's a real, a real dead giveaway that she was green screened. But yeah, the the one where she, the 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 scene where like she's first introduced, it's it's really hard to tell. Like it's the the green screening was done really, really, really well. Now, real question is, do you guys think Tink stepped in Dog Duke or she had muddy feet? And why would her feet no, be so damn uh, muddy? No, Ink. She was ink? all over the place. She probably knocked over an ink There's well. an ink pad that she stands on just before. That would make more sense. Okay, go. that makes more sense. I never caught that. See? Details. All these dang details. Movie. And there's a lot of details in this movie that are just so well executed. And that's where you have to have a two and a half hour movie. It takes 30 minutes to get there, but you're not going to have the attempted betrayal of the children when he shows up to the daughter's play and not the child's baseball game. It's kind of all necessary to be in there just to set up the rest of the movie so it makes sense when Hook tries to woo the children and one of them takes and the other one doesn't. That's what happens when you get an F. Yeah. I wonder what she was doing after that because they definitely uh, gave up on her real quick. She was in like an apartment with a bunch of other kids. Yeah, there was a lot of kids on that boat for, for pirates who like to kill children, but maybe, I don't know, cleaning, cooking type things, future murder subjects for when they're bored. Who knows? That's not the most dangerous game. Their children would be much easier to kill than adults. 
Wow, that's just a weird place I just went. <laughs> wow, Joe. <laughs> this, yeah. Sorry, I walked myself to that location. <laughs> I'll turn around now. Just close that door and move on. <laughs> so what are some of the things that didn't work so well for you in the film? Now, I know, like, uh, Rothi, you mentioned that the small sets kind of took you out of it. So we, we got that. I, I agree with what people say that I've seen in a few reviews for the sets. Because the sets are really well done. It's just, you can tell they're sets. So I don't know. I don't know. But it's a play. I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, you can definitely tell they're sets. And everything in this movie is, uh, it is jarring. I'm not going to get as crazy as like Roger Ebert did where he complained about the, he complained about the color gradients and everything. Like going to Neverland, he said he was expecting this bright blue, lush green tropical setting and, and the film took on a, a noted like red brown hue when it went to Neverland and a couple other things. And then he complained about the sets in further detail, but I don't agree with that. Like I said, like if you wanted to, you could legitimately sit down and pick anything apart in this movie and bash the crap out of it. But you could do that with any movie, so I don't understand why this one got so much hate. I blame Pettigrew. You blame me for everything, though, so you can't. No, I, I refuse to take I, the blame I, that's on this true, one. That's true. Okay, I, I did actually read something two nights ago that I feel like it's probably the closest to an answer. I, I heard, or I read an article somewhere that was talking about how critics at the time wanted Steven Spielberg to move on to more serious productions, and with movies like, you know... Um, uh, Empire of the Sun and whatever else had come out at the time that were more serious affairs the fact that he made this they felt like he was basically you know going back to a safety zone like a comfort zone making just another kids movie and that's why they were so harsh against it but I still think that's a stupid reason <laughs> there's a reason why I hate the academy this is one of them yeah and then and look at that this is 91 he literally went on to make Jurassic Park and Schindler's List two years later <laughs> like I, I, I don't I don't get it <laughs> Just don't get it. I think the thing that that got me the most with this movie was you guys have already made a made a reference to it. The pacing for it is strange. I wouldn't mm -hmm. say that like it's off, but there's just I mean I mean it is off. I wouldn't say that it's bad, but it's just it's just there's a lot of stop and go. Yeah, I have a, a distinct example of what I feel like you're trying to get at. So the movie's trudging along trying to get him to be Peter Pan. And then all of a sudden, he is 100% Peter Pan, forgets completely about his children, and 100% flip, and you're like, what the hell just happened? Is it supposed to be, like, some kind of... Like a reference to like excess. It could be because Peter's character goes. He he he's he's on this this pendulum of of good and bad, and he's never really in the middle. Like he's always swinging from one side to the other till until the very end, where he reaches some kind of equilibrium. Yeah, where he's gonna save his children and kill Hook. Which that part, I mean, he just kept on going and going and going. Here's all your chances. No, I'm an evil pirate. I'm gonna kill. No, yeah, yeah. I guess it could be part of that. I did not care for the melodramatic tone of the opening of the movie. Still. I didn't care for it back then, and I still don't care for it now. I think it cheapens the it's movie. It's using broad strokes to, to paint the Robin Williams character, Peter Banning. And it just, yeah, we get it. You're beating us over the head. He's a bad father for 30 minutes. Yes. Yeah, and that's one of the things I was talking about with tropes earlier. I, I saw a lot of reviews really get behind the the idea that the the overused trope of 
executive dad doesn't have time for kids is such a trope of the 90s and, and times when the economy was booming that it's 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 just weird to watch nowadays and i i don't know if i necessarily agree with that i'm sure there's plenty of people like that now yeah it's just we don't need a, a half hour to get introduced to that fact you can show a bad father pretty quickly yeah i i agree they could have they could have cut that entire introduction down by a significant amount to explain that Peter has forgotten that he's Peter Pan and that because of that he's he's become more of a pirate than anything. Yeah, no, for yeah, sure. Because all grown ups are pirates. I, I will say though that the one scene that it impacts me more as an adult than it did as a kid, obvious for obvious reasons, and then also uh, having a child, it's just the the scene where he does flip shit and screams at everybody to just leave him alone for you know just everybody bolts out of the room into Maggie Smith's arms essentially. <laughs> um, that scene really hits me on a different level because sometimes I do feel like I don't make time and sometimes I feel like I do come up with excuses to make time or I get too involved in my work and I just don't have the sensibility to shut it off like he did. And it's it's that quote that Moira gives about only having a few years of really having your kids seek out your attention and want to spend time with you before it flips. I mean, that just hits me on an adult level in such a different way than I, I just completely didn't catch that as a kid or care about it as a kid but for me that's one of the biggest like gut punches watching this film every year it's just that kind of as a reminder to just kind of stop being a jackass and maybe maybe take a little bit more time but i, I don't know that's that's obviously biased on my my half but no i i see it because i remember that scene when i was young when i was little and being like that's that's a scene that peter's a bad dad and it's just supposed to make mm-hmm. you angry at peter for being terrible to his kids and now you can see that peter's torn in knowing when to make time for his kids and knowing when to put the work down yeah so i i I see where you're getting with that and to me that message works because he goes to the united states i think making him a new york lawyer uh, in acquisitions and stuff that he says but i think it plays into our stereotypes of how we feel about cultures and peoples and countries that him being in the united states him being in corporate america that plays into the whole i need to work i need to provide and if i ever stop i'm not providing and i'm failing my family yep. mm-hmm yeah, I'm gonna say the movie really comes from a place of privilege because certain people, certain people can't put down the work, because if they do, their family's just gonna straight be in dire straits. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean mm-hmm. you shouldn't take time. That scene that you were talking about, where he is told, you know, you only have so much time. It also made since I don't have kids, I don't get to look at it from a father point. I just get to look back at it from trying to reflect on me being a kid and when did that happen between me and my father and oddly enough wasn't me saying i don't want you to come to my things anymore it was when i saw it being a hassle for my father to come to my things and then i kind of was just like the messages i'm getting and how sad that was for me and i was a teenager at that time being like oh i I guess we're done connecting like this. So I, it was kind of one of those things where she's saying, you know, his kids are young and you only have so much time before they don't want you to be part of it. And I was just like, yeah, I was lucky. I must have had a little bit extra time with my father till I got the message from my father that he wasn't as interested in coming to my stuff anymore. So it was like kind of a reverse reflection. 
Yeah, and see, I'm on the oppo- I'm on the opposite side of the fence with that because I I see that in me sometimes, and it scares me. So watching this film, it's a gut punch, and it, it, I didn't realize that until probably like five years ago, six years ago, when I first started watching the film on a yearly basis. That was the first time I revisited the film since probably my teens, my early teens. Having that is just kind of like a oh shit moment, <laughs> like just kind of like a taking a stock and and realizing that I, I I'm not perfect and I do do that, and what a hell of a message. I'm just here to let you know that maybe the time is not that short. Maybe you still have time to show your kids that you want to be a participant with what they're doing in the life that they enjoy. Yeah, and just a little background fun. I guess Robin Williams found it difficult to portray Peter Panning just because how big of a monster he is to his family. He had a really hard time portraying that, whereas Steven Spielberg definitely saw qualities of Peter Panning himself when they're going through the the filming so interesting interesting Mm. how everybody has different views on this it hits everybody in different ways but anyways bad stuff how about that stupid crocodile clock yeah i've always hated that scene (laughs) what it's just i like it coming coming from having a a deeper a deep understanding of peter pan before hook came out i expected the the crocodile to have a much well a less statuesque role (laughs) i guess you could say I, and I'm wondering if that's maybe they just ran out of time to in production to give the whole crocodile gimmick its actual time. You're supposed to come into the movie knowing about the crocodile, knowing that he's got PTSD from a close encounter, losing his hand. And so you're just supposed to know that. And so you don't necessarily need it to breathe. But it is also like a weird thing to keep bringing back and like, where did all those clocks come from? Those kids all of a sudden have clocks. I think the big issue for me is just the, the ending. Just He just disappears into a statue's mouth and then you hear the belch. It always bothered me as a kid that it didn't like come to life and eat him. It technically came to life because it made sounds. <laughs> but he just, it fell over and he's gone. That's that's why I didn't like it. It was, it, it was not, not to be funny with this, but it was very hollow. Yeah, it was hollow. It was just, it was there almost as a... As a ham-fisted, gotta have the crocodile in there somewhere. Here, the crocodile's gonna eat Hook. That's the ending. Yeah, but he already had said that he killed the crocodile, and they're killing all the crocodiles just to which make sure. Which bothers me. Which bothers but, uh, me. Why is it pseudo-alive, then? No, it's it's the irony that he was killed by one that was not alive. He was, bas- he was uh, wasting all of his time on the alive crocodiles that he got killed by a statue. And because he can't show somebody being... Uh, Splatted. Smushed to death in a chi- <laughs> child's movie. Although, it's a child's movie, but also an adult movie, which we uh, have oh, covered. Oh, yeah. What does Robin, what does Robin Being, Williams say at the it table? It really speaks heavily to adults. Yeah, what does Robin Williams say at the table? Oh, I caught this yesterday when I was watching it. Um, nearsighted gynecologist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then oh, apparently, uh, when Dustin Hoffman and Bob Hoskins were, were getting into character when they first were rehearsing with each other, they had this brilliant idea that, oh my god, Captain Hook and, and Smee are actually gay. That's why they spend so much time together. That's why they're the way they are. So they started playing it that way. Oh. Brought their idea to Steven Spielberg, and Steven Spielberg said, guys, this is a children's movie. <laughs> so This is the 90s. Yep. We're not quite there yet, guys. <laughs> it's a kid's movie. Can't have anything dark or crazy. So do that, but just don't say right? it. <laughs> One of the Lost Boys' names was Don't Tell. Yes. Oh, that's so good. I was good. like, no, no, no. What are we referencing? Wait, 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 no. Not don't tell. Don't don't ask. That's another background story. Apparently the kid had repeatedly asked Steven Spielberg, what's my kid's, or what's my lost boy's name? 
and he never got a name from Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Steven Spielberg turned to him one day and just said, don't ask. So then the other kids called him, don't ask in that scene. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> it's just funny because I looked at that as an adult going, what are they referencing? <laughs> yeah. But that's that's a great story that goes along with that's it because a very that's good story. kind of kind of how some of them have their names. Yeah, totally. They're just named from things or what happened, what they remember. Elephant in the room, skateboards, anyone? <laughs> skateboards. Don't care for it. <laughs> you didn't even even now. You didn't like the half pipe no, with the graffiti graffiti pirate face on it and everything. <laughs> And the the <laughs> mono rail that can shift over and change tracks. I always hated what that. I always hell is hated going that. on with that. How I thought I, it was I'm cool. In, I'm I want to ride it. I thought that it it made part of the Lost Boys like thing. But ultimately, how would Rufio get there if he didn't have a cool skateboard monorail to ride in on? Greased well, lightning. Remember, Rufio can't fly like Peter can. That is a question I was going to ask, because... Because Rufio is not Pan, and Pan is the demigod of Neverland. Sure. However, uh, Cannonball, I don't remember his name, said, what's your happy thought? My happy thought's my mom, which is wonderfully in character uh, for the Lost Boys, because in the original books, the kids are always like, I want my parents. I actually, and a lot of them just leave. So Peter Pan's constantly being angry with the lost boys because they're leaving them to go back to the parents instead of wanting to be kids forever. But that also implies that he knows that your happy thought is what makes you fly. And since he has a happy thought, he has a very specific happy thought that he goes to. That means he should be able to fly. Is that what I'm getting out of that? Or is this only when they're covered with pixie dust? You need that. You need the pixie dust to fly unless you're pan. Okay. Because pan can fly and he doesn't need the pixie dust. Or if you're Smee. Well, why Smee? I think Smee's hiding more than what he lets on. I think he can fly. Do you think he stole that from Peter? I, I don't know. He, he's got sticky fingers. I think if anyone's making... Okay, out of out of all of Neverland, out of everything we got a chance to see in this, I feel like Smee's probably got it made the best because everyone in town seems to love Smee, including, including the whorehouse. I mean, there's not a single person that wasn't excited when Smee walked by. <laughs> yeah. Smee was a very amicable character for everyone, and when you're on the good side of the captain and all of the crew, it's great. And I laughed heartily. I can't remember the, what it was, but when he is introducing the captain and he said the first one, it made me laugh a lot, and then it made me laugh even more when uh, nobody responded. Yeah. So he had to make up a second less thinking one. <laughs> I, I also, I like the little side gag. I, li- I like the stupid red carpet. It makes me giggle. Yep. Oh, that was great. There's so many There's little things like that, that in this movie, movie that are it's just so, wonderful. I don't I, I guess that's what I, that's just one of the things that endears this movie to me. And it's every time that Hook goes down the stairs, those the carpet goes up and any time anyone else tries to use the stairs, he hits it so no one else can use the carpet. <laughs> yeah. I I also thoroughly enjoy pirate rules of uh baseball, you know, not stealing second base. <laughs> pirate gets shot. <laughs> Uh, I'm getting I'm getting back into things I like again. Damn it. Right? Exactly. 
It's because it's hard to be critical about it this is. movie. I feel and I and I feel like like I said, the, the negative reviews of this movie are unnecessary. Like, yes, there are there are some things that are not the greatest, but to the degree that that it got just like 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 Rothy, you said you said they got it got lambasted. It did. It got obliterated by reviews. Absolutely, yeah, I mean it it's it's got a twenty nine on on Rotten Tomatoes, and I've seen I've honestly seen as low as like thirteen, fourteen, and that's just ridiculous. Yeah, now that's the critic review. If you look at the uh, user review, it's a lot. The user higher. reviews are very high for this movie. Mostly people defending it, saying like. I don't understand why the reviews were so bad, but if there are bad reviews or middle of the road reviews, it's the same thing like Joe was saying, just people going into it expecting, you know, more of the Disney-esque version and then being disappointed. Or like I was saying earlier with people kind of being in their teens, seeing the movie being like, what the hell? They're skateboards. (laughs) This is, this is too stupid and things like that. So I, I don't know. It's, it definitely feels like a movie that would cut out teenagers as a audience. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I can attest to that. Like Mr. Like, <laughs> like Andrew, you said, you stopped watching it in your teens, yeah, and then yeah. you started back up as an adult. This is a movie that cuts out a giant section of viewership simply based on what it is. However, it's kind of cool that it does bring back viewers as an adult with a different view for the movie. So let's talk about that. How has everyone's opinion of the movie changed over time? Or has it? Or has it always been the same? I've en- I've always enjoyed this movie. And partly like once we st- once we started about the negative things, I I started to take it personally for a few minutes and I was <laughs> I was getting defensive and I'm realizing that and I realized that not everybody is going to see this movie as as I do because like I love the story of Peter Pan. Like it's it is a it's like the whole Peter Pan universe is something that I have a a deep appreciation for, and I feel like Hook does a really good job of, of reaching into that canon. It does a good job of playing in that playground for sure. Yes, mm-hmm. I'd honestly be lying if it said if I said that it's made me think any less of the film. It, it holds a near very dear spot in my heart. I love this movie. I I can't say source material wise. I've given it enough respect as I should. I should eventually go back and watch the original Peter Pan slash maybe read the book. But knowing my exposure is just Hook and knowing what Peter Pan was all about, it doesn't detract from me. And I don't I don't know. I could I could absolutely see both halves of this. I could see people not liking this film. I could see people liking this film. And and for me, nothing's changed. So one of my originalist opinions when I first watched this back in the 90s, I was a little bit confused about a few things and one of them was they totally cut out the native americans i was kind of like wow they cut out a whole portion of never neverland there part of my experience of what i knew of peter pan is just been disregarded then over time i came to realize what the other portion of the thing that i must have had a problem with in this movie and i labeled it it's not enough like the original and what that was saying was that that there were people of color in the film as lost boys i discovered that i was uh, had negative feelings of this film because of systemic racism in my own thought processes as i was growing up and it's one of those things that i have definitely seen the racist parts of the disney film over time and understand now that it's 
very good to have the Lost Boys be represented the way that they were mm. in this film. Yeah. It's very encompassing for many people to see themselves in something like this. And it's a little disheartening to know that when I was growing up and I was becoming a teenager that I still had been picking up these racist feelings about that kind of stuff. And that's how it displayed. I didn't understand it because it just was systemic in the society that I was in. But that was the case. It's not the most fun thing to talk about. No. But. <laughs> the, fir the first time I watched Peter Pan, the Disney film, was actually actually at this point it was about two years ago we got to the the meeting of the native americans in the movie and i was so uncomfortable watching that and i i had no <laughs> recollection of that being wrong until that point and i like i was watching watching that i'm like this is so wrong why is this in a Disney movie? Because well, well, it's yes. a Disney movie. Because it's a Disney movie, but... <laughs> it's a racist asshole that created yep. Disney. <laughs> yep. Anti-Semitic too. Song of the South. Apple Dumping Gang. Oh, no. They have a history. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying. It's just something that I... When I was little, I, never, I didn't... I didn't see it. Yeah, for sure. You can go and watch the Disney film and fully understand why all that is left out of the movie hook it didn't need to come back no it doesn't <laughs> we got the mermaids that's fine and since i'm also talking about broad strokes i did paint the south with broad strokes in our last episode so i apologize to the south what was our last episode oh yeah because it's Beastmaster, and it was a sister he was kissing yeah so i took an easy joke and i apologize the south you don't all kiss your sisters this is not an endorsement for Kissing Sisters. <laughs> Does the film stand up after how many years is this now? 30 years? to 21? 30 yeah, years. 30 Jesus. years. Yeah, I'd say it, it holds up pretty well. There's a couple of references in there that you, there's no way anyone would know these days. Checkbooks? But, and some of the old technologies. They flew on Pan Am. Apart from <laughs> you know a couple of those dated things. Overall, oeuvre of the movie definitely holds up. I agree. When I first watched this movie... The movie kind of dragged on the first time I watched it. It was not what I wanted to watch at the time. However, watching it this time around really made me appreciate what they did with this movie. Still think it holds up. It's it's harder for me because I have to I have to break out of my mind and remind myself that as a child of the '90s and instantly start thinking about, oh man, I love Robin Williams, and then it's just like the reality of growing up, the reality of getting older and having catastrophic events and watching people you grew up with and fade away it, it, it sucks <laughs> but honestly robin williams was a gigantic part of my childhood yeah i'd say right around 2016 or so is is starting to come back up into i could watch this again without feeling sad and and, and feeling happy while watching it so i guess what i'm hearing is that we think it holds up. oh for sure no not at all for not sure all. for sure <laughs> well, there is that one bit but just the one yeah because he dug only a second or two to get that phone out of the ground when the dog easily buried it a good foot down. Oh, for sure, for sure. There's no way he could have undug it that fast. Or, or Gwyneth Paltrow. She was just mean. And... <laughs> okay, we're, we're losing ourselves yes, here. Yes, we are. We are. So, Jesus. And that was us breaking into Grandma's house, making a mess, and stealing the grandchildren, otherwise known as watching the movie Hook. Did... 
Did we also steal Toodle's marbles? Is that something we did as well? I do like that he flies off into the city sky and everyone screams in horror at first and then waves goodbye, laughing. (laughs) Ha ha, bye Toodles, don't get hit by an airplane. I'm sure this will wear off somewhere safe. Next time, we'll cover Joe versus the volcano. You're versing a volcano, Joe? Is this a real volcano or a (laughs) metaphorical one? I thought we were changing the format. It's just us reviewing Joe going mono mono with an active volcano. I mean, shit, yeah, that's that's what I was looking forward to. People have gotten tired of listening to us talk about movies. What if I were to adopt a bobcat and call it Volcano? Well, is it going to be a nice bobcat? I mean, I wouldn't adopt a a mean one. Okay, good point. So come back in two weeks when we rewind again.